one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Truth and Movies. Today, Wonder, Jacob Tremblay, in teeth-rotting tale of Brave Boy overcoming facial deformity, and the fact his dad is Owen Wilson. Then, Super Calais realistic family are atrocious, it's Happy End from Michael Haneke. Hey, Happy Haneke. We rate this tale of a callous Cali clan in crisis. Then, Film Club. Leon the Professional, precocious Natalie Portman makes her extraordinary debut alongside Jean Reno in what some say is Luc Besson's best work. But did you? That's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Truth and Movies featuring this week Hannah Woodhead. Hi. Hi, Hannah. You're Hi. back. I'm back, yeah, Excellent. two weeks in a row. All right, for a little bit of sweet and sour this week, A, David Jenkins. Yes, indeed. Right. <laughs> who, uh, who's who? Which ones? No, I don't oh. mean you. I mean the films. Oh, they couldn't right. Be, I mean, I thought I was sour. <laughs> well, and you're sweet. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah, I suspect it's not going to play out that way. No, actually, okay, but the films very much, oh. yin and yeah. yang, yes. salt and pepper, that kind of thing. Hail and pe- no, yes, little and large. Stop me, please. Uh, here's Jamie Biddle who says, after your discussion about Sam Rockwell. And how he makes every film he's in at least 27% better. Can I suggest a game that me and my friends play? Okay, Jamie, you and your friends. It's called Rockwell or Notwell. Basically, you name a film and players say Rockwell if they think he was in it or Notwell if they think he wasn't. He's had an incredibly varied career, says Jamie, so it's a lot trickier than it sounds. Do you want to play a game of that, Hannah? Yeah, I'm down. So what do I do? Do I name a film? Name a film and I Toy Story. Notwell. There you go. She won. It's a great it's a great name for a game. I think yeah. that that game is probably better if you've had like 18 pints of okay, vodka. All right. Mo- most most yeah. Most, most, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. I'm not sure that they are 18 pints of vodka. I suspect you, there's very little playing you're going to be doing. But, you know, if you enjoy the name of that game, you'll enjoy his other versions. These again from Jamie Biddle. Easier version he says is Tom Hanks or No Thanks. Let's have a go at that. Uh, Bridge of Spies. No thanks. It's Tom Hanks for crying oh, out loud. Oh, no. Sorry. David Jenkins. Or try this one. An incredibly hard one is Rick Moranis or Rick Moranisant. That's quite a specific game. He's not game. in that many films. Not yeah, in that that's, many that's films. Hard. It's All basically right. Ghostbusters and that's and, it. And um, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. <laughs> it's two films. Is that it? <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Oh, no, he's got oh, yeah. three. Yeah. He's, uh, he, what a run that is. Yeah. yeah. If you do like those kind of 
Six Degrees of games. We could almost play a game of Six Degrees of JFK this week because we're doing Leon the Professional as our film club thing. Natalie Portman, who's in that, plays Jackie Kennedy in Jackie. Gary Oldman plays Lee Harvey Oswald, who, of course, some say pulled the trigger on JFK. And Denny Aiello played Jack Ruby, the man who pretty much pulled the trigger on Lee Harvey Oswald. In, in, are you, are, are, you a, uh, are you a kind of Warren Report conspiracy theorist type? I'm saying that there are multiple versions out oh, there, David. Fine. No, it's good. Yeah, we all still we're missing is the truth. All, yeah, absolutely. All we're missing for a full house is somebody who played JFK. But that's remarkable that all three are in uh, Leon the Professional. Is it? It's not remarkable. Is there no one in Wonder and uh, Michael Haneker who has any link to the JFK assassination? Who knows? Because it's uh, all been hushed up. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, one other Probably. thing we should touch on from last week, which is that we, we talked about John Cazale and his extraordinary body of work, perhaps even greater than Rick Moranis's. Five films, all nominated for Best Picture, and we never named the fifth. David, I'm sure you can do this for us, can't you? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll but, do this for you. The Go- Deer Hunter. Yes. Godfathers. Yes. One and Conversation. Two. Yes, that's the one we were um, And the other ones. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon, Dog of course, afternoon. Which, we sp- which we spoke about. Yes. All right. If you would like to take part in exciting conversations like this, you can do by getting in touch via social media. Email is truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Twitter is at LWLies. There's Facebook, Little White Lies page, and there's also the Little White Lies website, which has got a special podcast section Probably the most underused comments page in, in anywhere in the internet, I'm going to say. But, you know, go along there, kick up some dust, write something. People, Let's ha- people prefer to communicate through other modes. It's the 20th century, man. Well, I know that. But if your Twitter feed is as busy as mine, then the problem is that we, we do something one week and somebody responds. By the next week, that's vanished off the bottom under a you know pile of abuse and, yes. and other stuff. No, understood. And, yeah. And cat memes. I'm joking, I obviously don't follow loads of accounts that do cat memes. Let's get on to a movie. Wonder. Wonder, based on a New York Times bestseller, this tells the story of August Pullman, Augie to his friends, a boy with facial differences who attends a mainstream elementary school for the first time, becomes the most unlikely of heroes, and takes his family, his new classmates, and the larger community on a journey of compassion and acceptance. Here's the moment when his family take him to the school gates for the first time. They stare. Let them stare. You can't blend in when you were born to stand out. We're going to have a little man-to-man. Now, i got to stop here because past this point is a no-dad zone and you don't want to walk up with your parents because it's not cool. But you're cool. I know I am, but technically most dads aren't, so... Neither of these helmets. Hey, two rules. First, only raise your hand once a class, no matter how many answers you know, except for science. Crush the whole. Check. Second, you're gonna feel like you're all alone, Augie, but you're not. Check. I love you. Owen Wilson there as as the dad. Stephen Chobsky, who directed The Perks of Being a Wallflower, is helming this for us after Paul King dropped out to make Paddington 2. Thank goodness, Paul King. Thank goodness. It's interesting because, like, 
before we record this, there is a sort of little weird sort of unspoken dance that happens beforehand where we sort of try not to tell each other what we think of all the films. It's a little bit like the Politburo scene in The Death of Stalin where nobody's quite sure what to say. Exactly, and Mm. we sort of fumble a bit around and you kind of have to look to the body language to see what people thought of the films and... uh, and yeah, well, let me let me help yeah. break the ice then by quoting the Village Voices critic Bilge Ibiri. Apparently, that's his real Bill name. Gay. Oh, Bill Gay. I think. Yeah. No, I think I was right first time. This is what he said. <laughs> Maybe this little movie about a kid with a facial disorder isn't really about a kid with a facial disorder at all, but about whatever you and I choose to see in it. And if that's not art, I don't know what is. Um, there you go. Does that in any way tally with your take? There's a lot of really good reviews for this film, David. Can you understand why? So on the day of this screening, I had a sort of day of leave and I was at home and I was sort of drinking hot tea and, e- and eating cake and just dossing around. And I was like, oh, God, I have to go into town to see Wonder in the evening. Oh. And uh, that's going to really harsh my mellow. So I was going along to this, not fuming, but I would say mildly miffed. Right, sort okay. of six out of ten miffed. And no, I was pleasantly surprised you, by were it. Were you charmed by this? I was, you know, I don't think it's it's a perfect film by any any stretch of the imagination, but I think it has some moves that um, are more interesting than maybe it looks on the surface. Um, I mean, yeah, all that stuff about, you know, it's, it's New York Times bestseller and it's got Jacob Tremblay as like, you know, sickeningly precocious lead actor who's sort of having to deal with this issue this this sort of physical deformity which makes him the kind of social other you know it all sounds very obvious and frankly the film goes exactly the place that you want it to go i think there's another another review of it that i read online which says something really nice about there's a kind of almost pathological desire for everything to turn out okay mm. for everyone to be happy to everyone for everyone to have learnt some kind of lesson and so yeah, it is the story of of Augie going to school for the first time and and his classmates having to sort of accept him for who he is. And um I think one of the things that really resonated with me is this idea that the way it's been written is that the kind of bad characters, the bullies, mm. there are sort of various characters who are set up as these antagonists who kind of they either, you know, start dissing Augie or are just horrible to other characters. There's Augie's sister who her her best friend kind of dumps her after going to summer camp and like learning to hang out with the cool kids. And what I liked about the film is that it actually takes time to sort of propose that people aren't just kind of evil. There's good and bad in everyone. Exactly. There's not, the people aren't just kind of, like a lot of movies just just have horrible people. And, and And this film actually takes time to like, show that that one of the kids has trouble with his parents and that there is a kind of like you know it does sort of dial back a bit and show the sort of social situation right that that is maybe perhaps turning the horrible people into horrible people and and i think it's a really nice positive humanist way of looking at things my word hannah what did you say from this film (sighs) i just uh i had such low expectations going in it was better than i thought it was going to be but i wouldn't say in any way that's a sort of compliment i didn't think it was a very good film i will say the kids in it were great uh jacob tremblay and uh, our friend noah jeep from last week really good but for me it just it was so sort of saccharine and i thought owen wilson and julia roberts were sort of just really sort of dreary as these parents and sort of like so earnest and so 
it just seemed a bit insincere to me. It was trying so hard, and I think this is the problem. Was it kind of by the numbers in, in terms yeah, of yeah, it was like pain by numbers. Um, there was an interesting quote actually from from Michael Haneker actually in an interview I was reading about this kind of thing where he says that you can't be satisfied with the cliches that are served up by mainstream cinema these allow yourselves an easier way out you mentioned the word spoon feeding i use the term force feeding which i must admit i did feel that's what was happening with uh, this film from stephen chobsky i mean use the the word obvious which for me entirely sums up his approach to this story will make it the kid is precociously good at science will make the bad guy actually have a good side which will come out at the end will make it so that he wins around everybody it's yeah. it's a bit like being waterboarded with treacle this film. It's just so relentlessly positive underneath even the difficult bits. And an example, because of his facial differentness, sits on his own in the cafeteria until his friend, one day after he's helped him with a science quiz, comes up and says, can I sit down? So he sits down with him. The musical cue that Stephen Chomsky goes for at this point is an acoustic guitar number with a man singing, I just know that we're going to be great friends. Yeah, the White Stripes, yeah. Oh, is that White Stripes? It's the White Stripes, um, we're going to be friends, which is used like twice in the film. Wow. And I was just like, oh. And then the it's next like getting scene, punched in the face. Well, the very like, next scene, he gives you a one-two because the sister who's feeling she's not getting as much love as Augie goes in flashback to visit her, her deceased grandmother, Tick's box, who sits on a beach and says, I love you even more because Augie's already got lots of angels looking out for him. Probably that it does have merits, but it just lost me at that point. That's this sort of qualification of parental love is like, oh, I love you more. And Julia Roberts says at one point, my opinion counts more because I'm your mum and I know you. The number of times my mum has said that to me, and I'm just, I still roll my oh, eyes. Oh, so that's actually like, that's quite a genuine yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. as a teen, I got bullied as a teenager. You know, like um, my brother got bullied quite badly, and. Oh, God, it just felt like it was a film made by someone who's never been bullied. Oh, really? You know, you don't become friends with these people. It, does, it doesn't work out all nice and neat and tidy. Maybe I'm just too cynical for this The best you thing. can hope for is to bump into them working in a fast food diet. Yep, yep. For all my sort of, like, slating it. I can see why they made this film. I can see who this would appeal to. It's just not for me, which okay. is great. It's so if, had you not gone to see it at a screening, there's no way you would have gone to see this. No. And I you wouldn't, would you in, recommend anyone to see it, well, David? I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's been a massive box office success in America. Presumably it, it inherits quite a lot of that from the fact that it was such a popular book. I think it cost like 30 million to make and it was... They were predicting it was going to get sort of five to eight million in the opening weekend, and it, and it ended up getting sort of thirty plus. You're kidding! In the opening weekend, wow. which was their projections were hugely off, and apparently the people who went to see it were actually, it's been kind of co-opted as a kind of educational high school teenager movie. So I think a lot of kids were bust in to see it as a kind of PSA about you know how you should behave in school, and right. you know here are the morals and ethics of like how you treat people in your class and kids who might seem a little different from you. So mm. we've certainly got a very positive message. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you would you give it positive numbers then, David, briefly? You know, my expectations were, were pretty low, so it's it's probably a two. I, w- I wouldn't say one because I mean I wasn't like dreading it or anything. Maybe this is a conversation for another day, but like the career of, of Owen Wilson is kind of insane. Um I'd rewatched Bottle Rocket recently and was sort of watching this thinking where did that go? I mean, you look yeah. at you look at his films that he's going to be in, and he's in he's in something called Father Figures in the New oh, Year, God. where it's him and Ed Helms. You know, it's like, they're trying to find their father. They yeah. play twins. Anyway, <laughs> um, no, but it's true. When did, so when was the turning point? Obviously, he had a lot of personal problems. Mm. 
well, I and mean, reached I, you know, I, the, I, the bottom of the pit emotionally at one point. Well, I think it's I think it's as far back as like 2000 because I think he was originally set to co-write the Royal Tenenbaums with Wes Anderson as they'd written um, Rushmore and Bottle Rocket together. He was like, "Sorry, Wes, Hollywood's a calling. Right. You're going to have to take this one." So, I think that was maybe the moment that he kind of not went to the dark side, but certainly. Winter the dark. I really, I really like him in Royal Tenenbaums, though. I think it's one oh, he's of his, amazing. Yeah, he's yeah. Really I mean, good he, he, I think it's he, a shame. He's sort of resting on his kind of past glory. Yeah, I think his charm still had some momentum. Momentum for me in Meet the Parents. Ah, the f- oh, yeah. uh, the, the first one. Yes. Yeah. I really enjoyed him in Armageddon, which you know, if we ever do a guilty Gosh. pleasure section, you know a what? I've, I've actually never that seen for the uh, for next week's. Bad it's so bad, it's good. Love, yeah. There's nothing bad about Armageddon. <laughs> uh, but it, but anyway, I've never seen Armageddon. Nominated so. for Best Original Song at the Oscars and Worst Original Song at the Razzies in the same year. Really? For Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, two for anticipation. Probably I'd say a three and a three for enjoyment and, really? and in retrospect. Because, okay. I mean, it's not a film that is changing my life in any way. But mm-hmm. it's certainly like, I think it, it deals with interesting issues in a kind of, if not original, then I think decent enough way. Hannah? I'll give it a two. I was really not looking forward to seeing it. Right. I think probably a three. Really? Drawing. I have to say, like, although I thought it was way too long at nearly two hours, like, that is not how long a kid's film should be. And I suppose it is a kid's film more than anything else. You know, I didn't hate watching it. I just thought it was a bit pointless. <laughs> I did. Um, I absolutely. I went in with a... <laughs> I'd heard that it was kind of meant to be good and I, we were so excited by some of the, the acting talent in it. I would give it a three in anticipation and then a flat one, one. Really? Yeah. Um, do not, from my point of view, do not go and see this yeah, film. Yeah, you're, you're doling it. out a lot of ones these days. <laughs> there's something of a contract there. We're all busy people. And if I'm giving up two hours plus of my life, this I'm expecting the, these people the to take good movie, care so. of it. Yeah. You say it's worse than Justice League. I would rather watch Justice League <laughs> than this. Yeah, so would I. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Just to say, Batman v Superman, I'm not sure. But anyway, let's not dwell on this one. Not when there's Michael Haneke's latest happy end to discuss. Happy end. I'm going to borrow your words here, David Jenkins. Oh, no. It's a tale of suffering in all its disparate forms and how it manifests within the ranks of an affluent family of coastal French industrialists called the Laurents. Uh, the... But David, as you, you subsequently pointed out, all the people in Michael Haneke's films are called Laurent. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of like connected universe. I think he has this idea of a sort of stock French bourgeois everyman type. And it's not just Laurent. There's specifically characters Georges and Anne who are like uh, the kind of cent- always the central couple. Right. So like in, in Amour, the couple are called Georges and Anne Laurent. In this film, there is a couple called Georges and Anne Laurent. Right. Okay. Hannah, you've you just finished seeing this. What what did you make of it? Yeah, um, I previously to this had only seen two other Hanukkah films, which is uh, The White Ribbon and Funny Games. Uh-huh. So I watched a more in kind of preparation for this, um, thinking it was this was a sort of like quasi sequel. Uh, a more was like emotionally devastating. Uh, happy end in sort of comparison to that, it didn't have the same emotional impact on me. I liked it. I think. Hanuk has always kind of got something interesting to say about society and about the sort of indifference of the bourgeoisie. 
it didn't blow me away, but I, I enjoyed it considerably more than I enjoyed Wonder. So right. that's always a good thing. Huh. Yeah, he describes it in, in an interview as, as almost the autism of society and its ability to kind of emotionally connect with. Is that what he said? Yeah. I think it's a really interesting line, and it's an extremely well-made film, this, but it's so dispassionate, so detached. It's almost like yeah. staring through people's windows into their house. I mean, the way that it's framed is very much in, in that manner, no? Yes, yeah, it begins with the teenage daughter recording her mother covertly on her cell phone. You can see Hannah has kind of gone for this whole social media like vibe to it and I think he said in interviews that he kind of did a bit of a deep dive into the world of Facebook and that sort of thing which really sort of comes across it feels like his rally against uh, that element of society and um, we were speaking about outstanding child performances I think there's a really good one in this one Mm. the actress who plays Eve Eve Fantine Hardouin is that Uh how we said that yeah 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 I thought she was really good sort of playing this like horrible teenage girl. Not horrible as in like she's a brat or anything, just like she's so completely like almost a sociopath. Hmm. Well, I think that goes back to, I mean, in The White Ribbon, which is a film about how kids are the product of, of their kind of the outrages of their parents. And like, I think he's got quite a sort of Puritan view of kids as being essentially innocent. But like, if their parents are horrible, then they're going to be horrible. So like the the hereditary thing. And I think it's definitely a case here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting cast as well. So you've got Isabel Huppert, who's a kind of uh, uh, Hanukkah regular, as is Jean-Louis Tritignon, <laughs> who basically comes out of retirement only for Hanukkah. He's, he, he hung up his acting uh, wig in 2003, <laughs> but you know, still turns up when Michael calls, he's there for him. You described this in your Little White Lies review as a Hanukkah megamix, and the haters are very much going to hate but there's something irresistible about the director's hostile precision and the way in which he offers a surprise along with every lacerating... What are the haters going to hate here, David? Well, I think that there's certainly people who don't find much appeal in his kind of absolutely relentlessly pessimistic view of the world and it is the opposite of Wonder, where Wonder is a film about how everyone's essentially nice when you strip it all back and this is a film about how people are essentially awful when you strip it all back. They're just yeah. you know, self-involved. Even when they're trying to be nice, there is some kind of underlying reason which is kind of nefarious or, or awful or, um, Everyone's or self-serving. Got, everyone's got ulterior motives in a Hanukkah film. Exactly. <laughs> There's a conversation between Eve and her father along those lines which is just chilling. I've never seen that done on screen before. The reason I call it a mega mix is because I think... Hanukkah has sort of two types of film. I mean, he has the films like Amor, which are just kind of linear stories, like Benny's Video, which is about a kid obsessed with a video of a pig being killed. And sorry, The Piano Teacher as well, which is another film with uh, Isabelle Huppert. And then you've got these kind of like collage movies. There's one called 71 Fragments in a Chronology of Time, very catchy title. And another one, which I think is his best movie called Code Unknown from 2000 with Juliette Binoche. And these are like kind of blocks of incident which don't really happen in any order and, and don't offer a kind of a narrative arc, but sort of are more sort of theme driven. And this kind of, I think, fits into that type of movie. It's just like a portrait rather than like a story. Mm-hmm. It takes a while through watching this to sort of like get that this isn't going to be like something happens and we're going to see you know how that incident plays out it's just Mm. like 
this happens over here and this happens over here and then this person has an issue and this person has an issue and everyone wants to kill themselves and <laughs> I think one of the the thing that is interesting about this and and maybe an interesting thing for Hanukkah to have done is he's known for his relentless humorlessness uh-huh. I mean his films if they're funny it's the most kind of darkly bitter smirking like half laugh that you could ever really emit and um I think this movie actually does have some kind of like absurd funny moments in it. Okay. I've seen it described as a as a wickedly dark comedy. I didn't spot as much humor in it as as you plainly did. There was an early moment involving a hamster which tickled me. <laughs> that, that I was just Well, actually that moment I went from sort of like horror to kind of like about half an hour after I watched the film, I was like, oh, was quite funny, actually. Right. So I think it kind of grows on you. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's going to convince anyone who wasn't already oh, a, no. a Hanukkah fan. I mean, it's comedy only in the sort of Hanukkah mode. Yeah. You know, like it's kind of grotesque comedy. I mean, The Guardian Review described it as like a kind of grotesque soap opera. Uh-huh. And I mm. think it's not like Anchorman or anything. I mean, it's not like... It, it's, it's <laughs> oh, not, I'd love you know, to see Hanukkah's Anchorman. <laughs> it's kind of like these people are are kind of so depressed and so maudlin and so self-destructive that it's, you know, he takes it to an almost absurd comic level. Right. So it's not kind of like lols. It's kind of like, I'll smirk a little later when I'm thinking about this movie. Huh. Yeah. What did you think later on then? What, what numbers would you give this then? Um, I'll give it a, a solid fours across the board for uh-huh. me. I, I did like it a lot. I think uh, something that really was refreshing to me for a film that's kind of got this like social media gimmick it didn't feel preachy uh-huh. a lot of films that kind of integrate social media into their uh, framing and plot can tend to be a bit like hey social media is a bad thing unplug and connect with people whereas this was just kind of like yeah this is the way life is now it was kind of had this like again quite funny like resignation to the state of things it's a so. little bit rubbernecking in that sense isn't it yeah. also with the, the situation in Calais of course this is set in Calais and there's the I think when the, the film is set the jungle is still very much mm-hmm. in yeah. existence so there's immigrants wandering the streets they make a, quite a, a, a shocking appearance in one scene in particular again not being preachy just kind of Observing? presenting this yeah. uh, presenting the sort of indifference that I'm sure must have been it was present enough in England at the time the way everyone just kind of sort of thought oh yeah what's going on over the channel it doesn't really concern us. David you're a fan though I wouldn't say like I'm like a Michael Haneker super fan or anything I I, I think the the one film that I love of his is, is Code Unknown which right. I would absolutely recommend. How, how would people. you score this one? But this one would probably be Fours again. Fours? Yeah. Okay. Yeah I'd maybe get I think I'd maybe give it a three at the time because I appreciated it but I didn't really engage I've seen comparisons between his work and say Lanthimos Mm -hmm. or Lanthimos who I kind of prefer because there's more of a there's more style in Lanthimos there's more style and it's a little bit less like real life Mm. which I get Mm. quite a lot of anyway I mean it's a very well made film as you say probably unlikely to win over anyone who's uh, not a you know Hanukkah head a Hanukkah head very nice (laughs) Let's move on then to this week's film club, which is very much Leon. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Leon, a professional assassin, is forced to give shelter to his 12-year-old neighbour, Matilda, after her family is murdered. The pair begin an unusual relationship as on the road to revenge, she becomes the assassin's apprentice while yearning for something more. Here is Matilda, played by Natalie Portman, explaining just that to Leon, played by Jean Reno. Leon, I think I'm kind of falling in love with you. It's the first time for me, you know? How do you know it's love if you've never been in love before? Because I feel it. Where? In my stomach. It's all warm. I always had a knot there. And now, it's gone. Matilda, I'm glad you... Don't have a stomachache anymore. I don't think it means anything. Late for work. I had been late for work. Luc Besson wrote and made this while waiting for Bruce Willis to be free so they could do The Fifth Element together, apparently. And a lot of people narrate it as his best film. What did listeners think? Hannah? I'm going to read a comment from Wayne. Okay. It's a bit long, so okay. bear with us. Leon doesn't hold up as well as I'd hoped. Renault and Portman were excellent and the scenes with them together were great, but everything else wasn't treated as important. The bad guys in the film are in the film very little and were over-the-top, cheesy, stereotype, 80s-slash-90s bad guys. What? Wayne goes on to say, Gary Oldman could have been played by Dolph Lundgren and it wouldn't have made any difference. Wayne, what are you saying? Also, the weird love angle by Portman to Renault wasn't needed and just came across as very awkward. He does go on to say, I sound like James reviewing Fast and Furious 8, but I did enjoy the film. Oh yeah, so. Fast and Furious 8. Fast and Furious <laughs> See, 1. That, that's that's what, a one star. That was a one star. <laughs> this wonder is as bad as Fast and Furious 8. Well, they're different because there's, there's a cynicism, I think, behind Fast and Furious mm. without in any way wishing to set me off again. There's a <laughs> cynicism which I found horrific and truly, truly, it just spoke of an utter lack of respect yeah. by the filmmakers for the people paying to see their movie. I wouldn't say that about Wonder. I just thought it was appallingly, kind of ploddingly saccharine and by the numbers. But let's get back to yes, Leon. Yes, yes, right. Yes. From AJ, 
Leon is a movie that seems to be in the top five of most guys' favourite movie lists, thereby getting it an 8.6 on IMDb. I do enjoy the movie, but it is a film stitched together from set pieces, some of which are slightly strange and disjointed. I watched the longer Antograal version, and I say the theatrical cut is better, as there's more innocence in the Leon-Matilda relationship. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You were saying, Hannah, that this is dubbed the European version, the longer one, almost as if, you know, Europeans can... They're easier with the idea of a 30-year-old with a, a 12-year-old. Yeah, maybe. Um, the actress, uh, Maywen Lebesco, who plays a prostitute in the opening scene, um, she wrote the film with uh, Besson, who was her boyfriend at the time, and said it was kind of based on their relationship. She met him when she was 11, and they started a relationship when um, she was 15. He was 32 at the time. So obviously that kind of dynamic between Matilda and Leon comes across as a bit of a, a nod to Besson and uh, Lebesco. Really, I know when the, the movie was originally um, screen-tested, oh, not screen-tested, but when, when they tested it with audiences, there was a very bad reaction to one or two of the scenes which were then cut from the original theatrical release. There's one in particular which is in this director's cut where they go to dinner and he basically gives the 11-year-old Natalie Portman champagne and she's climbing on the table and giving him kisses. And it's funny because it takes what was a subtext to the original film as most of us saw it in the 90s. I think it gives the film an entirely different flavour now, unfortunately. Uh, Anyway, any other comments? I mean, yeah, we've got loads of tweets as well. Declan Beeson, this is one of my comfort films. I can't praise it higher. The shape-shifting Gary Oldman is on form. Those adorable moments between Leon and Matilda, I'm not ashamed to say it never fails to make me well up. Mm. I saw this for the first time many years ago when it came out. I was eight. I saw it a couple of times afterwards. I'm eager to watch it again after such a long time. That's Daniel Hernandez. Tommy Draper, one of my favourite films, still holds up today. More heart than most action films made these days. Right. There are elements to this film. If you take away which is what they originally did, the, the more dubious bits, there are some absolutely banging parts of this film. It, it is a terrific action thriller. I think that scene where um, Matilda first knocks on Leon's door is, like, brilliant. Hmm. And there's this kind of, like, as the viewer, you're watching it going, oh, what, what's going to happen? Is he going to answer the door? And um, that's something Besson does really well besides, like, these amazing action sequences. And, of course, Gary Oldman is just, like, brilliant in it he's, mm. I, I really disagree with that Dolph Lundgren comment I think no one could have played that role like Holman he's just this kind of exploding ball of rage <laughs> there's so much about his character now that has become iconic him sort of directing Beethoven while he's kind of shotgunning a house full of innocent people or his reading of the line everyone I mean yeah that's um, it's a shame that he kind of he's introduced then we have to sort of spend an hour with the good guys so he can come back and they can do their final showdown. Right. It's, it's kind of a shame that it, it, there's, there's almost, in, certainly in the long version, there's about an hour where he's MIA. So You kind mm. of want a spin-off film just find out what he's doing with his life. It's Absolutely. so interesting. This is probably the first time I've seen Leon since about 94, 95. Mm-hmm. I remember sort of liking it when I originally saw it when it came out and not like loving it or anything, but seeing it again now was just... Oh, incredibly uncomfortable and strange. Like I, I genuinely think Luke Besson is a very bad director. Like in general, right? But I mean, uncomfortable because of the whole Natalie Portman genre. Of- sweeping all that stuff aside, right? I just found it a really quite shoddy and bad film. There's one sequence in particular where she dresses up in various items from a wardrobe and performs a series of musical numbers, which left me slack-jawed. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of just playing a game, which kind of gets at the idea that he's kind of completely divorced from kind of 
culture and you know he he's just this kind of weird loner none of the film really makes any sense to me like why it would take them so long for to find her and why she ends up staying there and why he accepts her and the way he carries out his his assassinations but you know it's all the same putting a bit of bubble gum on the on the, the little peephole in the door this is a, a very pernickety james thing right but you know the bit where they're out on the on the rooftop and yes. he's teaching her how to like Sniper Are you going to say the paint gun pellet would never work at that velocity first, from that distance? Firstly, because yeah, that's exactly th- what I th- said. There's, when I was n- there's no account for like wind resistance or anything right. like that. Yeah. She just like hits him dead on in yeah. the first go. Which well, is well, maybe just, she's that good. Yeah, maybe she is that good. But then it really irked me that he refer like Leon refers to the people that he shoots as clients. Yes, I know that's a really, really nothing thing to mention, but surely the clients are the people that are paying him to kill people. He doesn't kill the, his clients. Right. Anyone who's worked in the assassin business could actually get in touch and let us know. Well, I so, played a lot of Hitman as a teenager, and it was always the, the client was the person paying you, and then there was the asset, which was the person you would asset. kill. Asset. But asset. I think, you know, English is Leon's second language, so let's like give him a bit of a... I don't know. I, that, for me, is a small detail that kind of maybe rang true of a, of a larger shoddiness of okay. it all. No, actually one more thing that got me mm-hmm. at the end when uh, Matilda goes to plant Leon's mm-hmm. plant in the grounds of her new school that house plant would have died immediately like you shouldn't be taking house plants and planting them outside that is that was, right that, they did not think that one through well, he didn't think that through did he just to sort of very quickly loop this back to another film club Le Samurai oh yeah you know him tending to his plant yes I think Luc Besson is kind of quite boringly asset stripped those kind of mystical he's a bit magpie-esque as a director we were discussing the fact that there's a, I think a shot by shot homage to Casavitas to Gloria in, the, in this film and uh, somebody mentioned the fact that he's actually just had to pay out almost half a million euro to uh, John Carpenter for ripping off Escape from New York for his film Lockdown yes that's so funny he just thought no one would notice <laughs> <laughs> It's just a genre film. It's just a, it's just well, a sort of templated thing. How yeah. can you, you know nobody's going to mind if we just change the names? And <laughs> it happens so often. To be fair, poor chap. I mean, anything else you want to add about Leon? I would actually want to say it'd be interesting just quickly talk about the kind of the relationship in the film, especially now there is a you know a, an older man and a younger woman and hmm. and that that kind of dynamic. I mean, a lot of people would find it very creepy, and it, and I think it is creepy, but I actually think that that creepiness is probably the thing that makes Leon an interesting and memorable film right it is uncomfortable but I think that discomfort is actually the one thing that makes Leon an original take on what is essentially I think a fairly standard Steven Seagal a guy has to go and take on a corrupt cop movie and that's a really interesting point I'd say there are two things one is Gary Oldman's performance and the other is that and the pity for me is that the extended cut takes the balance away because while that relationship in the original theatrical release I think doesn't get in the way of the rest of the film it never makes anything particularly explicit it leaves it realistic enough because I can imagine how an 11, 12 year old girl would completely identify with the the man saving her and, and Natalie Portman is an extremely precocious preteen. it's never taken anywhere so it, it, it sits there as something that's hinted at and it's an interesting directorial choice unfortunately I feel the director's cut kind of takes it a bit beyond that the director's cut it you know takes it maybe a little too far but, right. I, I, but I no think, one goes to jail or anything but yeah i don't think it spends too much time trying to kind of 
qualify it and him sort of, you know them sort of say no no this is okay this is legit this is mm. just platonic and it doesn't sort of force that element of it no, in you're your right. face no you're, uh, you're right Reno plays it quite straight I think yeah. um, his decision to play Leon as this sort of uh, reclusive um, a bit simple man is a really sort of smart choice because it does stop it certainly in the um, theatrical cut it stops it feeling too creepy it is creepy we can all accept that it's creepy but in the original theatrical cut it comes across less i think mm. well I, th- I think the interesting thing about it is that he, you know he sees it as a father-daughter relationship where she sees it as a as a romantic relationship and i think that the film explores these two people who have different ideas of what their the relationship is maybe i'm mm. going a bit too deep into no this, i think but... that's absolutely right i mean it is it, it's a really remarkable thing quite a brave thing for actually a director to feature even in a European cut. Indeed. Anyway, there you go. That's Leon, which I did enjoy watching again, I must say, even though I was a bit dismayed by some of the things. Um, next week on Truth and Movies, we've got Blade of the Immortal, which is lots of flashing samurai swords and stuff, is it, David? Yeah, it's uh, from the Japanese director Takeshi Miike, who is uh. very, very prolific. He's, this is his 100th movie. Wow. So this is, I think, a good time to celebrate. All right. Okay, we've also got The Disaster Artist, which is... James and Dave Franco's reenactment of the making of supposedly the worst film ever made, The Room, Hannah, which you've already seen. Yeah, I yeah. saw it um, a while ago now, but it's absolutely delightful film. I recommend. It's out, I think some screenings are this weekend, so go and see it this weekend if you can. It's right. really good. Or hang around and hear our <laughs> intellectualization of it uh, next week and then catch it, uh, knowing what to think about it. Yep, the disaster artist Blade of the Immortal and in honour of The Room, we kind of put out a shout to see what people would nominate for films that were so bad they're good. There were lots of interesting suggestions My in there. My God, they were like... Yeah, there were I, I mean, it must have brought it on the thousands. Someone suggested Birdman, which I, I just thought was a very... <laughs> that's not a bad film, come on, like... Be fair. Hmm. Yeah, there were plenty of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Wicker Man. Nicholas Cage's The Wicker Man. So the Wicker Man was in there, which yeah. I've not seen the remake. Oh, the, brilliant film. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and also Troll Two, which uh, Troll I, Two is great. It's on. I think it's on Netflix at the moment, and. I'd gone through every Netflix possibility and just and there was nothing I wanted to watch. I just thought, oh hell, I'm going to watch Troll Two, right? And I had a really great time with Did it. Did you? I mean, it is terrible, but it's really entertaining. I don't know if the word terrible really goes anywhere near the the place where Troll Two gets. I think that film has a lot of heart. I mean, the, worse fa- than Wonder. the fact is, you know, it's no, I'd f- rather watch Troll Two than the, the Wonder. The, the, Troll, Troll Two is magnificently bad. It is. I think the the, the best thing about Troll Two is that. There are no actual trolls in it. It's actually it's just about it's about goblins. It's about goblins. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, they're overselling it. <laughs> so the film that we are actually going for is a film which is quite a high budget vanity project back in when would this be the late eighties? Uh, Hudson Hawk. Oh, why is the world jam packed with such idiots? <sighs> Every schmo has the fantasy that the planet revolves around them. It rains. A car crash stops traffic. You say, how can this happen to me? But for us, this isn't a fantasy. It is a reality. Oh, yes. If Da Vinci was alive today, he'd be eating microwave sushi naked in the back of a Cadillac with the both of us. The project of his life is now the toy of mine. History, tradition, culture are not concepts. 
These are trophies I keep in my den as paperweights. Chaos will cause the world with this machine. Will be our final masterpiece. The New Yorker, Richard Brody, there um, recently with a piece about how it's always been misunderstood and a neglected gem. Other people have a different take. You yourself, David, described it as, well, watching it is like eating sand. It's an abomination. (laughs) I watched it pretty recently for some reason when I was kind of going through a sort of bad movie tip. Right. So it's not so bad, it's good then? I just find it really boring. Okay. You know, it is like a kind of fire hose of money at the screen. You're just like slack-jawed as to how and why this is in existence. I mean... So are we, we actually going to do it then or not? I think, you know, you should do it. I mean, Brody is not alone. I mean, I think there are there are a contingent of people who do think okay. it is a, a lost classic. I mean, I think the thing that really got me is like... I'm not going to be talking about this next week, so I feel yeah. I'm allowed to just have my one word, is that it's got this special kind of smug sense of humour that's kind it's of like... It's got Bruce Willis. Wah, 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 after, like, it, it's like that after every joke. Right. It's, oh, my God, it's horrible. Yeah, no. The horror, the horror. The horror, the says, horror, yeah. Little White Lies, David Jenkins. All right, well, do get watching if you dare. Let us know your thoughts. Sorry? Didn't say the name of the film. Uh, Hudson Hawk, I think I did, didn't did I? You? No, okay, know, but it is Hudson Hawk. <laughs> and uh, if, if you fancy some of that, and I know I do, uh, then let us know what you think about it. Truth and movies at tcolondon.com is the email. Twitter, LW Lies, Facebook, and the website. Anything else you guys want to throw in before we wrap it up for another week? I would just very quickly, sorry, I know I've talked a lot this no. week. I just want to quickly mention that for any listeners out there interested in going to see some classic old movies oh, yeah. at the cinema, we're doing a weekender at the ICA alongside Mubi. It's going to be five films on the 8th, 9th and 10th and of December. Of December and you should definitely come along. Everything's going to be what screened on 35mm. We've got Jack Tatty's Playtime, Orson Welles' F for Fake, Agnes Varda's The Beaches of Agnes. What else, Hannah? Leo Carax. Oh, Leo Carax is um, Holy Motors and the last one is Daisies, Daisies by Vera Chitilovia. The theme that we've sort of gone with with this, with this weekender is that these are all just kind of complete one-offs they're like made by maverick movie directors and uh, this is a kind of celebration of them fabulous that's going to be on the three eighth ninth and tenth it's it's, the weekender is called yeah it's called light show the weekender so we'd love to see you down there we're going to be present and presenting all the films magnificent all right well looking forward to that and to uh everyone's reaction to hudson hawk we'll be back uh, next week in the meantime this has been truth and movies a seven digital production deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.